If you could give a warm welcome to Micah, that would be great. <laughs> that was a phenomenal introduction. I'm the ugly one that can't bring home the meat. Hi, you have me today. No, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, my bride does send her greetings, as Trisha shared. She, um, oh, first of all, she's awesome, but she has spoken here on a number of occasions. She had the opportunity to speak at a hunting retreat, and a part of that was getting to try her hand at hunting. And sure enough, she killed herself a doe, and so I'm looking forward to venison when I get home. <laughs> well, uh, before we dive into this morning's content, I just wanted to start by saying thank you. Um, whether you know it or not, you're a part of a church family that has partnered with Vapor in a formal capacity for the last several years. And as Tricia said, that's been sending people and it's been sending finances. And so on behalf of all of us at Vapor International, the, the international staff, the stateside staff, the tens of thousands of people we serve on a weekly basis, I just want to start by saying thank you for the partnership from Vapor International Green Bay Community. For those of you who like to know what's coming down the pike, this morning uh, our content is organized around three orienting questions. Talking with Trisha some time ago and then Troy and just kind of setting up and framing up how we'd spend this morning, we really said, hey, let's organize it around three things. So three overarching questions. What do we do and why do we do it? What do we do and why do we do it? Now speaking to that, it's what do we the global body of Christ, meaning what are we Christ followers called to? And then what do we vapor international? What are we called to what do we do, right? So we're going to speak to that. Second, what has God done in Haiti through our partnership to date? We're going to take a look back and just see the last two years, what has God done? And then third, we're going to answer the question, how can you be involved in our partnership moving forward? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And we praise you. I pray that you guide my tongue. Father, use me as a mouthpiece today for your word, for your church, Father, for the lost, for the poor. I pray, Father, that we are mobilized in a greater way today, Father, that we are inspired, that we are filled with a sense of urgency and passion for what matters to you. Guide us today. Use me as an instrument today, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start at the why, I'm going to start with why vapor. On October 9th, 1996, I learned very personally that life at the end of the day is like a vapor or a mist that appears for a moment and vanishes away. I was really born playing ball. My father was a lumberyard worker, grocery worker, teacher, preacher, but my dad was coach, a bivocational, hardworking man, coach football for 18 years. And some of my earliest memories are the smell of the grass on Friday night. I was that little kid that grew up by his dad's side in the locker rooms and the weight rooms and just loved ball, played football, basketball, baseball. And what happened for me over the course of time was this harmless passion began to turn into an obsession. It began to take a wrong place in my, my life and in, in heart and, and ultimately became a form of idolatry, began to define who I was. Instead of my posture being one of complete and total surrender to Christ, saying, you're the captain, tell me what you want me to do. 
what I really wanted to do was set the tone, set the direction, and have God put his rubber stamp on whatever I wanted to do with my life. Uh, my father we, and my family had moved down to Florida, and we had, he had taken on a, um, an athletic director, head football and head basketball position at a school. And I remember my father uh, coming up to me after one practice and, and saying, in essence, son, uh, life is incredibly short. Live your short life for what will outlive this life. He said, son, ask God what he wants to do with your life. Ask God what matters to him and focus your life on that. Now, being young and thinking I was hot stuff, you know, the quarterback and all that, on the outside, I was shaking my head saying, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. But on the inside, I was saying, man, I'm going to be a light-skinned Deion Sanders. You know, I'm playing on Sundays. I'm going to be the king of Espen, you know, all those things that, of course, uh, didn't come true. But really, if I really kind of drilled down in, it set off a tension. Whose life is it? Who's going to be in charge? Who, who sets the tone and the direction? So not too long after that, I remember one night, we was before a big football game on a Friday night. I remember one Thursday night, wrestling in that tension. I remember just standing up in my room and just having a kind of an argument, if you will, with God. You don't win that. Uh, but standing up, and I remember actually verbalizing to the air. I said, God, this is my life. And I want to do what I want to do with my life. I want to pursue this particular passion. Well, we had lived on the West Coast. And on the West Coast, there's real waves. In the Pacific, we had moved to the Gulf of Mexico. And there's this giant pond out there, right? And so the only time that you can catch rideable waves in the Gulf of Mexico in Florida is when the storms would form. And so some storm systems had formed. Waves had kicked up. We decided to go down and ride waves. Now, my brother and I were very competitive. We were always competing in everything we did. And so we made our way down to the beach, and we had to race to see who could get to the water first. Now, there was big waves breaking, and there was waves that were actually crashing on the beach. And so I took my clothes off, ran down, and I saw a big breaker coming, and I was timing it just right. I dove, and I decided to put my hands behind my back when I hit this wave, thinking I was like a dolphin or something. I don't know what I was thinking. But I ran down, I dove, and I hit the water like I'd done 100, 1,000 times before, only this time when I hit the water, it was like a shock just rushed through my spine, and I knew something was wrong. Instinctively, I knew to lay still. I was a little bit groggy. I didn't know what was going on. But the momentum of my dive continued to carry me to the surf. The next wave rolled me over. And I remember looking up. I could see the blue sky. I could see the surface. And when I tried to get up, my body wouldn't work. And I panicked. My lungs were crying out for breath. I tried to reach the surface. I couldn't reach. I sucked in water. And I passed out. I got caught in what's called a longshore current and immediately began to be taken down the beach. And to cut a long story short, a stranger, some time later, walking down the beach, saw what he thought was a body, went out into the surf, lifted up a hand. My parents had made their way down to the beach, saw that. My mom hit the beach and began to scream, God, don't take my son. I was pulled out of the surf, had no heartbeat, no pulse, no body functions whatsoever. Technically, clinically, I was dead. I was resuscitated, life-flighted to a hospital, Tampa General Hospital in Tampa, Florida. And I don't remember much of the first week, but I remember, I remember gagging, kind of like choking on something. I kind of gagged too. I had tubes in my throat, tubes in my nose, sensors all over my body. And I came to, and I saw my dad sitting in a corner, arms on his, arms on his knees, bags under his eyes, hadn't shaved, 
had obviously been under stress. And the first words that came out of my mouth were, how did I do in the game? We had a big game at Lemon Bay High School that Friday. My dad looked at me and he said, son, you didn't play. You broke your neck. I shattered four vertebrae in my neck. I was completely quadriplegic. And that's why I say on October 9th, 1996, God taught me the brevity of life, that at the end of the day, life is like a vapor. But God gave me a second chance. It wasn't my time to go. And with that second chance, a passion, a sense of urgency to spend whatever short life I had left for that which would matter when this life is done. To spend life, invest life in what would have eternal significance. Not too terribly long after that, it was actually in 2004, I had my first opportunity to go into a slum, to venture into a slum. I went to East Africa to a slum called Kawangwari Slum. Uh, this, this picture is actually taken from a slum we work in near Haiti, or work near in Haiti. But, but the slum was much like this slum. And I remember as I was, as I, as I, during that month, as I was seeing for the first time abject poverty, I remember one particular scene walking through this slum of 300,000 people. We came across a dump much like the one you see there. And there was three boys, and the three boys uh, were up on top of the dump with stick. And as they were digging down to the dump, and I was just observing, just watching them, as they were digging down to the dump, it, it, was, just, it, was, it was as if the wind kind of blew just right in that, those ta- their tattered shirts kind of exposed, and you, you could see their ribs. And I was just captivated by what I was seeing, and I was observing. And, and then something happened that just, just sent shivers down my spine. One of those young boys reached down into that and he pulled something out and he began to eat it. They were foraging. They were searching for food. The gentleman who was with me explained to me that there was over 150,000 street children in this greater city of multiple millions. And in the slum I was in, there was over 350,000 people living in abject poverty. 1.6 billion people trying to survive on less than 125 a day. See, before those were statistics, but they were becoming names and faces now. The poverty problem began to become personal. And really what it did was it set off a tension in my heart. What do I do with this? What, God, why have I seen this? And what am I supposed to do with it? And I knew at that point that I would either spend the rest of my life trying to forget what I saw or spend the rest of my life trying to do something about it. And wrestling in that tension, asking God, what do you want me to do with what I now know? God birthed the ministry we call Vapor International. One out of every seven people in the world lives in hunger. Four hundred million children don't have access to safe drinking water. Twenty-two thousand children die each day from preventable causes. 
and nearly a billion people entered the 21st century unable to read a book or sign their names. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. At Vapor International, we are taking action. We aim to establish sustainable centers for alleviating poverty and multiplying disciples in third world environments. If the center is complete and the staff are trained, uh, then they are empowered to uh, manage the center themselves. Vapor uses the universal language of sports to reach out to children and to the entire community. Right from the time Vapor started working here, you see guys coming to Christ. And I can testify concerning my church, you see a lot of souls coming to Christ, and uh, it's something that we have to pray God for. That is it. At Vapor Centers, we tackle poverty. From initiating master water projects and fighting illiteracy, providing disease prevention training and agricultural development, we're committed to alleviating poverty in the many forms that surround our centers. First, we come in with clean drinking water, uh, food stipends, child education, just meeting the immediate needs. And then we're able to share the gospel of Christ with them and that Christ made them on purpose and that they have gifts and that they have the ability and the power to make change in their country. Vapor gives children a place to run with the Word of God, we give them someone to run to. We use sports to reach people. You drop a ball and you pull up hundreds, parents, kids. So using sports, especially in this part of the world, using soccer as a tool is the most perfect idea. Because when they come here, we have an opportunity to tell them about God. People from the community helping people in the community, alleviating poverty, equipping the unequipped, and multiplying disciples. This is Vapor. So you get a snapshot of what we do, and you see a little bit behind some of the why behind the urgency. And I want to, I want to kind of. I want to kind of turn a corner a little bit and just spend some time speaking to the, the bigger, the call for the universal church, for all of us as Christ followers. And yes, that impacts us at Vapor. And yes, Christ's call impacts us, but it impacts all of us. And I want to do that really beginning at making disciples, the call to multiply Disciples. When we talk about multiplying disciples, we're talking about revealing God's grace by advancing his gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that is granted to us by his grace. So let me just kind of set that up. And we're going to start in Genesis and end in Revelations. And we're going to try to do it in like six minutes. You ready for the ride? Okay. In Genesis, we see a picture of the holy, awesome, sovereign, powerful, mighty God of the universe, creating all things, creating and spinning the world into existence. And right in the middle of the garden, right in the middle of his creation, he creates man. 
man and woman, who bear his likeness, who are created to enjoy relationship with him, and all was well, all was beautiful, all was good. But then we come to Genesis 3, and mankind rebelled against God, lured by temptation from Satan. Man sinned against the holy God. And when that occurred, the Bible says sin entered the world. And all that was perfect, all that was untainted, all that was right, sin entered it, death with it, and it spread into all things. And we were broken. A chasm entered in between the relationship that was once perfect between man and God. But God, who is rich in mercy, full of love, full of kindness, instead of giving us simply what we deserve, looked at our helpless state and chose to act on our behalf. And we move towards the Gospels and we see in the Gospels our hope. The God of the universe in the form, shows up in the form of a man. We celebrate that at Christmas. He becomes incarnate. He takes on a robe of human flesh. He is born in a manger. He invades human history for our good. He lives a sinless and perfect life. And then he comes to Calvary and he bears the weight of our rebellion on a cross made for us. He dies on Calvary, pays the price for our sin debt, raises, is risen from the dead, conquers sin and death, and then offers to us life and life abundantly through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Is that good news? We're, yeah, that's right. I'm in this, I, I was telling the church before, we're, we live in the South. You got to like clap and say amen and all that type of stuff. So, I mean, that's great news, right? That he looked at our helpless state and didn't turn his head the other way. He gave of himself, gave his son. And we praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We praise God for the reality that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. But here's what happens. We see in the New Testament, after Christ has died, was buried, rose again, he, before he ascends to the Father, he addresses his followers. He addresses his disciples. And he gives a crystal clear clarion call. And I want to just read that over you. We find it in all the Gospels, but we find it here in Matthew 28. Again, the context, Jesus Christ addressing followers who have placed their faith in his grace, his gospel. He says, then Jesus, the Bible says, then Jesus came up and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, right there, we have to be alerted. Right there, we have to perk up. The person who's speaking has the authority and the right to say what he's about to say. He's the founder and the CEO and the CEO, or and the COO, right? He created all things, he sustains all things. He has the authority. And so he says, he says to those listening, to the disciples, he says, therefore, here's my mission, here's my mandate, here's my command. Therefore, go and make disciples, 
Do that in all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. There is so much here. Time is short, but it's a powerful picture I just want to give you real quick. The one who has authority, who has paid the price, who has risen from the dead, tells his disciples, until the end of the age, until I return, be about this thing. Make central in your life this thing, the advancement of my gospel. Express, share, and show the good news. And then those who embrace it, those who come to faith in me, teach them, help them, mentor them so that they too can multiply disciples. It's God's master plan for reaching the world. And then one more snapshot I want to give you. This is looking back. In Revelations 7, 9 through 10, the picture is we're at the kind of end of time. Not really because time doesn't end from God's perspective, but we're looking back. We're, those, those who know him are in his presence, and here's what he says. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After these things, I looked, and here was an enormous crowd that no one could count, made up of persons from every nation, tribe, people, and language, every color, every people, every place, a massive crowd gathered around the throne, united in Christ, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in long white robes with palm branches in their hands. They were shouting, they were shouting in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you catch that? All those from every people around the nations gathered around his throne, around his throne, exalting his name and saying, you indeed bought our salvation. You completed the work. And everyone who lived for that, everyone who was sold out for that, knows at that time, yes, it was worth it, multiplying disciples. I want to live for that. I want to be about that. Don't you? Don't we want to stand at the end and look back and say, we lived for that which will matter forever. We live for men, women, boys, and girls proclaiming the grace of Christ. We live for that. Now, while we should turn our praise to God, and we should exalt him for the salvation he has brought in our lives. We must never forget that that salvation brought to us is in turn to be shared and showed by us to a lost and dying world around us. So at Vapor, Christ's call to make, to make disciples gives life to our mission. We use that which is relevant in cross-cultural environments to simply be obedient to this call to reach the lost spiritually, to make disciples. This is the call for the church. This is the call for all of us who follow Christ, and we want to put that into practice. We use the platform of the sport of choice. Young people come, do something they love, and they hear about the one that loves him. Praise be to God for the work he has done. In each of these little sections, I'm going to share, I'm going to share about a, a few things in Vapor. And at each spot, I'm going to stop and just tell a story 
that focuses on areas of interest for this church. And so the story I was thinking about as it pertains to the multiplying of disciples, the reaching of the lost, advancing God's kingdom in this way, was a story that I heard recently from our center in Haiti. Now in Haiti, it's not uncommon that folks will have a history of voodoo and witchcraft. And in some places, it's still practice. So a man actually came to our center. His wife was very ill. When he was a young child, he was actually given over to the voodoo gods, and they take a notch out, out um, from underneath uh, the eye, underneath the skin. And so he came, and he said, my wife has been ill. I, I've taken her to the local witch doctor. We tried all we know to do, but I'm desperate. And I heard that there were holy men here, so people that acted like Christ, right? And so he came, and he said, I don't, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And our staff didn't know what to do either at that point in her health. And so they pulled her in and they just, they prayed over her. They laid hands on her. They asked and they begged God to touch her in a unique way. Now, this doesn't always happen. And I know this may sound a little bit crazy. We can't exactly answer it medically. But all we know is what was taking her life lost hold in her life. And she's no longer ill. So this man overwhelmed by the generosity and compassion he saw and overwhelmed by this message of the love of Christ kept coming back to the center and sitting underneath and hearing the word. One of our staff persons was down not too terribly long ago and while he was there, this grown man worshiping idols from the time he was young came to the front during a, a challenge that was given by our staff. He fell on his face, wept and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, absolutely. Praise be to God for disciples being made. While we believe, while we believe that God's call for us as a church, as a body of Christ, as individuals and as a ministry, while we believe that call is clear to make disciples, we also see throughout Scripture a clear call to care for the hurting, the poor, the destitute, the needy. And we say, we say it in these terms, alleviate poverty. And when we, when we talk about that, we're talking about showing God's compassion by sharing his provision. I want to take a little time and just share some of God's heart through the scriptures in this particular area. Did you know that over 400 times in scripture, 400 times, God challenges his people or speaks to his people? about his heart for caring for the poor. Sometimes it comes in commands, calling us to act on behalf of the needy and the poor. So what I thought we would do for the rest of the service is actually look up every one of those 400 verses and read them out loud. You guys wanna do that, you ready to go? There's not a game or anything on this afternoon, right? Okay, well we won't do that, but I do wanna hone in on a few that are really, really clear. So, so hang with me as we walk these out. And just as I share these with you, listen to the, consist the consistency, the clarity in his word. First, Proverbs 14, 31. Listen to this. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Did you catch that? He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. He who is kind to the needy honors who? God. Proverbs 19, verse 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. 
and he will reward him for what he has done. No, 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 no. When, 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 I, when I'm kind to the poor, when I do something for the poor, I'm lending to the poor. Yes and no. Not just there. From God's vantage point, it's as if you're doing it to him, a service to him. We see this principle all throughout, all throughout Scripture. In verse 17, God draws a personal parallel between service to the poor and service to himself. We also see the same reality in the New Testament. We're not going to run to this verse, but for those of you that are familiar with the parable, specifically the parable in Matthew 25 about the goats and the sheep, it's the same picture. God divides the goats on the left, those that rejected him, the sheep on the right, those who trusted him and honored him with their lives. And he begins to share with them how those on the right... He begins to share how they fed him, they clothed him, they tended to him, they cared for him. And they say, when? When did we care for you? When did we see you in prison? When did we bring you water? And he says, when you did it to one of the least of these, it's as if you did it unto me. This is how important this is to our God. This is how much he cares. Last scripture we're going to look at, Proverbs chapter 31, 8 and 9. Open your mouth on behalf of those unable to speak. For the legal rights of all the dying. Open your mouth, judge in righteousness, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. The context here is instruction for a prince who's eventually going to become a king. He's a leader in waiting And the instructions are clear. Listen, it's not about you. It's not about you having everything you want and need. Use your position. Leverage your platform for the hurting, the destitute. He says, be an advocate for the poor. And and that's really what we want to take to heart. 1.6 billion people right now trying to survive on less than 125 a day. In slums, like I showed you on the screen, those 1.6 billion people are often voiceless, without advocates. And Jesus tells us, live for them, advocate for them. Listen to the language. Plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Remember when you were a little kid and you, you had to get mom to do something for you and you resorted to kind of base measures. Mom, I beg you, I'll be so good in school this year if you please get me my Xbox. It's that kind of a tone, only magnified in importance. He says, plead with, with a, a, a urgency, emotion, care, and concern for those that are hurting. This is our God. This is his heart. This is the heart he wants to implant in us. It, it vapors, it vapor Christ's call to serve the poor gives life to our Mission and I, I got a quick story here and uh, I know for for Tricia she one of the things she wanted to do uh, was uh, early on in our partnership last year was really connect people with with individual kids and so they did a push here for Hasmin's friends and so as I was preparing for this talk I came across this picture and I thought I gotta show this to you guys so I'm gonna tell you a little story here the, the guy on the right his name's Hasmin my uh, first experience I, I went over to East Africa for a month and spent some time in a slum called Kalangwadi. And then I later moved back there to start our first center. But during that month period, I was playing soccer with some kids on the ground. That's their 
football, right? So I was playing soccer on the ground or with some kids, and, and this little kid came up, and, and, and you see him on the right. He, he was actually sleeping on the side of the streets at night. I didn't, I didn't know his full story, but I, I bent over to get a ball or something, and a coin fell out. It was like a 30, equivalent to like 30 cents. And this little boy picked it up. I had no idea that I dropped it. He felt a little tug on my shirt, and this little kid opened his hand, and he handed it to me. Now, I didn't understand the value of that money in their context at the time, but he could have ate for about three days, at least one meal for about three days, the lowest level meal, Ugali and Skumawiki, which is a local meal. So this was huge to him. Now, I didn't know that, and I'm just thinking, oh, kid, 30 cents, you're honest, keep it, go buy some candy, right? So that's, that, was, that was my mindset. And so he ran off into the slum, disappeared, didn't know what happened. So the next day, I'm playing soccer, and I feel this little tug, and this kid he puts his face in my face. I don't even recognize him. I have no idea what's going on. And so I asked our staff person, I said, hey, uh, um, you know, who is this kid? What's going on? And he says, he says, that's the kid you gave the coin to yesterday. You know what he did? And you know why I couldn't recognize him? He immediately went down and went to a barber and got shaved, got cleaned, got, got some lotion put on his skin, went and got some small food. He wasn't going to spend it on candy. He wanted to feel the sensation of being clean. And so that little kid, when I moved back, we ended up finding out his story. One night he knocked on my door, said in Swahili, I lived with two Kenyans that translated, and in Swahili he said, I just have nowhere to go. So he moved in, and I became dad. Didn't know what I was doing then, still don't. I'm married, but don't have kids yet. And so but it was kind of simple math. It was like, okay, kids need to bathe. Okay, so the shower, soap, bathe them, right? Got it, all right. Kids need to sleep, bed, right? Kids need to eat. Kids need to go to school, right? So we, we took Hasmin, enrolled him in school, and then we realized that there were tons of kids just like Hasmin. And so we started a program called Hasmin's Friends. What's really cool is that middle picture there is Hasmin's first day of school. They have to wear a uniform there. And the one on the right is actually Hasmin not too long ago. My wife and I get to stay connected with him. And uh, he wrote me his first email ever about two months ago. And I want to read one little snapshot of that to you from Hasmin. The second thing is about vapor. I hope God will help you open as many centers as possible so that you can help as many children as possible. Did you catch that? He's advocating. He's actually advocating for the poor. Side note, in Kenya, hanging out, doing some prayer time with him when he stayed over late. Uh, this was, came on a trip, not, uh, uh, went on a trip about a year ago, hanging out with him and a couple other kids, praying with him. And he and two other kids started praying for the poor. They said, we're not poor anymore. We're praying for the poor. Really cool deal. So, rabbit trail, back on the map, Hasmin's letter. Okay, here we go. Second thing is about vapor. I hope God will help you open as many centers as possible so that you can help as many children as possible and teach them about the word of God. Don't forget that I pray for you and Audrey every time I go to bed. Thank you for everything that you have done to me and my family. I know it's a hard thing for you to do, but I think God will continue blessing you. I know it's very hard for me to pay you back. Love you much, Hasmin. Every one of you that support a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Praise God. Every one of you that support a kid through compassion, Hasmin, or whatever it is that you do in your, in your church engagement, know there are lives on the other side of the pond that are they're intimately impacted. It matters. It makes a difference. And so these are calls to the church but there are also calls that we, that we together are united in. 
believing that God has called us to make disciples, care for the poor, and do it in such a way that is more sustainable. I realize time is short, so I'm going to move relatively quickly to our last two uh, points. So first, why and what do we do? What are we called to do? Second is, what has God done over the past couple years in our partnership. So I'm going to do that in real quick form, share a couple things, a highlight of what God has done. In the last two years, in part because this sponsorship, we've been able to establish two new centers that are fully operating, fully functioning in Haiti. And those are in Delaire and Wanamant. And by God's grace, we've been able to secure a title deed on a, a piece of land for a third hopeful center later on. I, I, could, I could get into the weeds and tell you many awesome things, but I just want to sum it up by saying thousands of people have come to faith in Christ. Many people's lives have been altered physically, and you have been a part of that. God is making much of himself through the investments, in part through this body. Yeah, absolutely. You can clap there too. To kind of just, just kind of put a stamp on that and move on. Again, I'm a story guy. But I, want, I, I picked this story from Haiti to kind of capture that. Went to Delaire, Haiti for the opening of the center. Uh, the, the, the grand opening is about to happen. We flew in to cut the ribbon. Night before, this little girl you see on the right, Nashka, she was there at the center. I didn't know many people there. And so I asked, who's this little girl? They said, Nashka. I said, well, I'm new here. Uh, help me out. They said, oh, that's the daughter of Eddie. Who's Eddie? Oh, you don't know about Eddie? Let us tell you. So we sat there late at night before the center was about to open, and they shared the story of Eddie. Eddie, like many of you, wanted to be a good dad, take care of his kids. But with joblessness being rampant in the country, couldn't find income. And it became so desperate, he was afraid his kids were going to starve. So he illegally crossed the border into Dominican Republic, hiked through 67, or pardon me, 60 to 70 miles of bush, came to Santiago and tried to find entry-level work. The wrong people found him. He was extorted. And by the time he came back to his country, he was in debt, worse for the wear, and he didn't know what he was going to do. God led us to build a center there, one you helped build. And there he got work. He heard the gospel. He came to faith in Christ. He joined the disciple-making groups. He became a disciple-maker in the community. And the very first job that was awarded, the permanent jobs that are awarded to the indigenous staff, Eddie got the job. His daughter was the first little girl in the league. When I landed in January, I got to see the little home he's starting to build debt-free. A father feeding his family from the sweat of his brow, making disciples. That's what you are invested in. Praise be to God for what he has done. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, yes, for sure. I, I told you I was from the South and we're supposed to amen and clap and then I'm moving too fast. So I apologize for that. We're going to take the last few minutes and we're just going to kind of look forward for a moment. So I just want to speak to this last question. How can you be involved in partnership going forward? And I'm going to speak to that real simply in three ways. So first, pray. Pray that God would save the souls of men, women, boys, and girls around the world. Pray that lives would be changed, provision would be made available, and success in mission. Pray, 
Pray, pray. God says the prayer of righteous people accomplishes much. Second, go. As Trisha said, your church is a part of go. There's trips that where you all are given spots to come through us. Next trip for y'all, June 30th through July 5th. See Trisha if you'd like to go on that trip. And lastly, give. Your church is a strategic partner of this ministry and other ministries. And I just want to speak just for a quick moment to the importance of bringing your first fruits to God's church in order to, in community, reach the world. When you put resources towards your church, put first fruits to the church, it allows the church to invest in gospel expansion and care for people locally and globally. And and it benefits partners like us. And so for my wife and I, we're members of a local church in the state we're at, and our first fruits go to the church and to the church. And I want to encourage you to be faithful in that so partnerships can continue. And lastly, above and beyond that investment, if you feel compelled to be engaged with Vapor, we have several outlets through which you can be involved. Just come see us at the table after that, uh, after the service. I'd like to call the uh, worship team to come forward as we close out our service but as they come up, I just want to, I want to end where we began. And that's that, thank you. God has done much. We believe that by his power, much is to come. He is worthy of great praise. We must be about what matters for eternity. I don't know about you, but I want to spend my life advancing his gospel and showing his compassion through serving the poor. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for what you've done and what you will do. We magnify your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.